The Jericho Network on Westwood One. The following program is presented by the Jericho Network in association with Podcast One. Podcast One presents Rock Talk, Rock Talk with Mitch LaFond. All the rockers, all the stories. This is incredible. Now, now here's your host, respected rock journalist, Mitch LaFond. Welcome to another episode of Rock Talk. I am your host, Mitch LaFond. Joining me this week, formerly of Journey, it is drummer Dean Castronovo. And after Dean, I've got an interview with George Lynch, and I will give you some more details about that in a minute. But first, yes, first, after 37 years, it is the return of Gene Simmons of KISS. I first sat down with Gene on June 9th, 1980, when I was 11 years old, and I have now sat down with him in September of 2017 to talk about his new box set, The Vault, which I desperately, desperately, desperately want, but unfortunately can't afford. But I will, I will find a way, because you just look at it in terms of the content and the quality and the packaging. It, it just looks absolutely... Uh, absolutely sublime, and I uh, certainly wish I could uh, get my hands on it. So I'll, I'll make it happen some, so in some way, shape, or form. Um, absolutely thrilled that Gene called in. Stunned as well. Um, you know, warms the cockles of my heart, I guess is the expression. But um, listen, listen to the interview. You get to find out a whole bunch of stuff. Yes, GeneSimmonsVault.com. We, we we find out about that, and the box set, and the and the experiences, and and all the different th- you know the tiers of of what you can purchase. But okay, but we also find out will Kiss make a new studio album? Very clear about that. Will Kiss tour in 2018? Very clear about that. Would Kiss ever do? a special one-off show or series of shows where Bruce Kulick, Peter Chris, Ace Fraley, Vinnie Vincent, everybody would come on stage and play one or two songs from their era. Um, surprisingly uh, clear about that. So just a lot of great content. Yes, there's a lot of content about The Vault, as there should be. That's what he called for. But there's also great um, content for the average Kiss fan who just wants to know, hey, what's going on? with the band and so um you know here here's gene simmons and uh you know thank you first of all to doc mcgee for having set it up and uh everybody else involved who who made it happen Uh, gene i love you so without further ado here is the one the only 37 years after the first interview gene simmons hi it's gene simmons hello gene pleasure to speak with you and thank you uh, Yes, uh, very much looking forward to the uh, the release of of the vault. So I just wanted to get uh, you know talking about that. Um, tell me about the different fan experiences that are going to be offered. Well, everybody should forget all that. There's been a lot of chatter about this and experience. I, I don't care about that experience thing. Here's the headline: Because I'm fortunate and blessed, and the fans have given me the life that I never dreamed possible. At my cost, my cost for jets and hotels and security and insurance and all that, I'm going to fly around the world and hand deliver every single Gene Simmons vault into the sweaty palms of those who order it. 
The simple idea is fans go to GeneSimmonsFault.com. It'll answer all the questions. But in short, this is the largest box set of all time. It features half a century, 50 years of unreleased tracks, 150 tracks that have never been released that start 1966 to 2016. Songs I've co-written with Bob Dylan, who was kind enough to come over to my house 20 years ago, and we wrote three songs together. I also recorded the actual songwriting process where we're kidding around and playing guitar. That's in the box set. The Van Halen brothers joined me for three songs from 1978. Joe Perry from Aerosmith is on one. All the Kiss guys are on a few. I mean, it just goes on and on. The actual Gene Simmons vault is 38 pounds, right under three feet tall, under two feet wide, and literally has metal wheels and is designed to last a lifetime. It has a 50,000-word huge book with hundreds of photos for my private collection, 10 CDs. It's the monster of all box sets. I should call it Godzilla, but the name's taken. So the simple idea is there will be very few of these made, a few thousand in the world. No retail, no stores, no downloading, no, no file sharing, none of that not cloud nonsense. This is a piece of art that I take great pride in, and at my expense, I'm going to fly around the world and hand deliver it to those who purchase. Only a few thousand on earth will be made. And then the rest, you know, for those of you that can afford it and want to do extra special stuff, you can find out all the other stuff by going to GeneSimmonsVault.com. Talk to me about the writing process with, with Bob Dylan. How does, how does Gene Simmons and Bob Dylan get together? And was it for a solo album? Was it for a Kiss album? How does that come about? Well, I never write for any particular thing. I just write. You know, when you feel like it's coming on, you take the time and whatever comes out, comes out. How did Bob happen? I called up the manager and I said, hi, it's Gene Simmons. They go, oh, hello. I said, what's up? I said, I want to write with Bob. They're going, well... And then from the background, yeah, well, so he, no kinder, more generous guy, real charmer. We talked for a little bit, and sure enough, within a day or two, there was an unmarked white van, and Bob came to my house. And we sat around and traded licks and tried this chord, that chord. We talked about philosophy and how do you write songs, and how do, if you can imagine, Bob Dylan is asking me how I write songs. I, you know, I wanted to just blabber and say, uh, you know, what do you, I'm not worthy. And all of that is also on the box set, the actual songwriting process. Right. Now, now, other than Paul McCartney, I would imagine that sitting down with Bob Dylan's got to be sort of a fan experience for you. Well, it would be amazing for me, but even Paul McCartney buckles his knees for Bob Dylan. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, talk to me about the, those demos with uh, Eddie Van Halen, Alex Van Halen. They were, of course, for the Love Gun album. Um, why, for example, were they not included on the original Kiss box set? And is it finally nice to have them available to fans now? Well, I discovered Van Halen and playing in a club and signed them to my Man of a Thousand Faces production company, flew them to New York produced 15 songs at Electric Lady Studios. And then when I got too busy, I tore up the contract and I said, you guys are free. I got to go back out on tour. And if I have time at the end of the tour, I'll go shopping, you know, for a deal for you. But 
I can't ethically, personally hold on to you guys while I'm off on tour not doing anything. So I did the right thing. And the guys, of course, got signed right away. And in return, the brothers Van Halen were kind enough to appear on three songs that I wrote when we came back from Japan in 1978. And one of those songs was Christine 16 that we recorded about 2 a.m. in the morning. And none of the songs were written or recorded for any particular album. It's just I constantly wrote and recorded and still do. As the stuff comes out, you don't think about what you're doing. And then when you take a look at an album, I mean, Paul's different. You know, he'll write specifically for an album. I never did that, which is why some of the material is Beatlesque or keyboard-based. And some of it is real, you know, hard rock, guitars, bass, drums, that kind of stuff. And some of the tracks, I play all the instruments and engineer and produce it and do all that. And some of the, well, it's difficult to describe 150 never-before-released tracks spanning half a century. Now, for those that, that, that won't be able to afford the price, the price point as it's set, will there be a, a sort of regular CD release two years down the road, three years down the road, it, or is it sort of... It'll, it'll never happen. I'd rather destroy everything. A Rolls Royce is a Rolls Royce, and it should never go be on sale. This is the only way, if somebody wants it, $2,000 for the largest box set of all time, and at my cost... I will fly around the world and pay for insurance and security and my hotel bills and all that, and I will personally hand-deliver every single box set to the fans. No other way of getting it, and there are only a few thousand available that will ever be made around the world. Right. The band is approaching 45 years of existence, and, and by the way, uh, as a fan myself, thank you for that, because it bands meant a great deal to me in my life. Um, why do you I think, it. you know, you really have, the, it's gone from songs that just put you in a good mood to songs that, that dig you out of a hole to songs that sort of, you know, Kiss has just been more than, you know. But the question is, is why do you, how did Kiss create such a passionate fan base? Because when you go on the internet, you see people arguing about Ace is Peter is, and Peter and, and Bruce is better than this. And, and you don't see that for the Scorpions and you don't see that for Foreigner. Where did that passion come from for, for KISS? I think it's uh, when you're a member of a family and, uh, you know, dad is no longer a member of the family. I mean, he'll always be kind of because he's your dad. And he was asked to leave because he was a drunk or, you know, or did something wrong. You know, the kids always argue about why can't you just get back? They don't understand the dynamics. But that's what families are. You know, bands in a very real way if you stick around for 44 years, or families. You know, often you spend more time with your bandmates than you do with your blood relatives. So, by the way, tomorrow I'm doing the Benefit concert, Gene Simmons Band, my side band, in St. Paul, the proceeds going to hurricane relief for our fellow Americans in Houston. On the bill will be uh, Gene Simmons Band, Don Felder, Cheap Trick, the Jayhawks, and Ace Fraley called me and wanted to jump up on stage and lend his support. Sure, of course. And a few months back, Ace asked me to come over to his place and write for his next solo record. So we wrote two songs together, and he's going to record those. But, you know, being in a band is messy, and relationships are messy, and nothing is easy. And very few people get to 
have a long-lasting relationship because many people are not designed to run marathons, you know? Almost anybody can run a quick spurt. Right. But but to be around 44, 45 years, you know, it's a peculiar person. I'm peculiar. Well, when, and we appreciate that. Um, you know, the, the Gene Simmons solo band, Paul has obviously done stuff in the 80s, and he had Eric Singer and Bob Kulik and all this stuff. You sort of resisted or never really did it. Now you are. Sort of what took so long, and does this lead to a Gene Simmons solo album? Does this lead to more solo dates, or are these also very finite, where we're doing them, fans have wanted it, and when they're done, they're done? You know, I have no idea. All I know is I'm having the time of my life. The uh, Right now, every day, I'm living, breathing, living the GeneSimmonsVault.com experience yes. and i can't wait to hand deliver the box sets to fans every one of them around the world where are you where are you broadcasting from montreal and i would love to have uh, yes. one hand yes, delivered I, to montreal yes i will go to montreal i'm it's fair to say if you live in the north pole and one person orders uh the box set i'm not going to the north pole okay but nearby sure up in the Great White North, you bet. And I want to make sure people understand there are only a few thousand that will ever be made. There's going to be no cheaper version, no online schmonline, no clouds, no popcorn farts, no stores. It's only available, and it's Godzilla-sized version, and that's it. I don't ever want to see an on-sale sign at a Rolls-Royce dealership, Okay. I want it to maintain its integrity. It's a Rolls Royce. That's what it is. You like it, buy it. You don't like it, don't. So, yeah. in in short, the largest box set of all time, and I described what's in it, is $2,000. I'll pay for airplane flights, hotels, insurance, security, all that stuff. And of course, the accountants and lawyers think I'm out of my mind, but I can afford it. You want it? Come and get it. First come, first served. After... The supply is depleted. My guess is before January, there will be no more. But starting January, I'm taking a year off from touring, and I will fly around the world and hand deliver every single box set to the fans. 18 hours of music on top of that. Now, you, you just quickly said you're taking a year off of touring, so that means no solo dates and therefore no kiss dates for 2018. Well, no kiss, no kiss dates or... If we have a free weekend and there's less going on, sure. But if I'm going to New Zealand and Australia, you know, you want to plan so that when you go to New Zealand, you'll hit Australia next and so on. And it's difficult to crisscross the world if you have, you know, one person in Russia and 100 people in South Africa. You know, you got to plan it so it makes sense. So convenience for the fans and for me is important because you don't want to force anybody to yeah, let's meet Saturday. Oh, I'm sorry, my daughter's having a birthday and I'm not available that day. So you got to plan this way in advance. It will get done. I'm committed to this. Don't worry about the details. I've, I get my, whatever I commit to, I get it done. Well, that is certainly something that I can agree with over 45 years. KISS has always delivered on their promises, and you and Gene, uh, you and Paul, I should say, have also always delivered on your promises. Um, I know we only have 15 minutes, so I just want to ask one, one or two last ones here. You mentioned that KISS was a family. 
Um, reunion talk aside, do you ever see yourself getting on stage with Bruce and Ace and, and Peter and, and just do like one song and a special concert at Madison Square Garden where they all come out and do two songs from their era? Or has that sort of ship passed? Oh, I, I mean, if you're going to do a one-off, anything's possible. In fact, Bruce Kulick and Bob Kulick are going to be on the Kiss Cruise. Uh, we have wonderful lineups and we have an awful lot of fun. So there's no, there are no rules. It's just that, you know, if you're on a team, you want consistency. You want to be able to have a guy you can count on when you pass the ball because the whole team depends on that, right? Absolutely. And so if the guy you pass the ball to is on drugs or alcohol, the whole team goes down. You're depending on each other, all for one, one for all. And our original members, Ace and Peter, were, you know, the, the best things that ever happened to us. We couldn't have happened without them. But if you succumb, even to the cliche of cliches, the bus leaves without you. That's life. You don't get to, de to determine who and what everybody does based on your timeline. Or, uh, you know what, I want to take a year off and do nothing. Uh, no. Or I'm not healthy enough to be on stage. But, you know, I mean, I think both Peter and Ace are in a great frame of mind, finally cleaned up. And that's great because we love them and support them. But three times in and out of the band, that's enough. Yeah, and you know, as a fan also, I have to say I'm glad that I was introduced to a talent like Bruce Kulick, to a talent like Eric Singer, and of course Eric Carr, we can't forget. Uh, they've added greatly to the whole uh, music landscape. So, you know, g good for that. Um, and then we'll finish with this. People think, people think in terms of uh, finite ideas, ACDC can't exist without Bon Scott. Actually, they can. And they can exist without, you know, Brian. No, actually, they can. Axel did a fine job. And Van Halen, who I discovered, can't exist without David Lee Roth. Actually, they got bigger with Sammy Hager. So all these rules mean very little. And the fans will continue to argue with themselves, with each other. I like this. You like black. I like red. Well, that's nice. But a band is a dynamic thing it breathes it's alive and it's only as good as the people in it like any relationship whether it's marriage or friendship you know a football game or a band it's only as good as the team involved and so you're right if you go to genesimmonsvault.com and you're the first one one of the first ones you'll get your gene simmons vault box set delivered to you by Gene Simmons, wherever the hell you are. Yeah. If you come in later, that's life. And, and by the way, the, there's a book in there that I'm almost more excited about the book than the music. And I don't mean that in a disparaging way. It's just that those pictures no, and I, the stories, you know what 50, I mean? Right. There's a 50,000 word book uh, that I wrote that has hundreds of photos and I mean, it's, it's, you got to see it to believe it. It literally weighs 38 pounds. I, I should have called it Godzilla, but the name is taken. Right. And, and, and if, I, if I may, I'll finish on this. Do we ever see another new Kiss album, or is that also sort of uh, a I'm passing? Sour. I'm sour on, I am sour on the whole idea because I don't want to work my ass off. And for fans to decide to download and file share, there's no incentive for me whatsoever uh, Kiss is not a charity, although I give to charity a lot. But I'll decide. I suspect what you do for a living, you get paid. Of course. 
and I don't want anybody to determine, oh, you have enough money. You know what? I'll determine what that is. So the incentive to do a new album, I write songs all the time, but maybe the old-fashioned way of doing it, downloading a file sharing, not interested at least. Yeah, and and I have to say I fully agree with you. I mean, you, you wouldn't go into a furniture store and then walk out with a chair and say, "Well, I feel like having it today." Well, you know, that's not how it works. Well, next week the furniture next week the furniture store would be out of business. Well, that's by exactly the way, it. they just they just told me that I've got to move on. My apologies. No, thank you, Gene. Great pleasure, and uh, thank you for the forty five years of of great Kiss music and great uh, Gene Simmons uh, quotes and music and everything else. Thank you. Thank you, boss. Cheers. Bye-bye. You're listening to Rock Talk with Mitch LaFond. Rock Talk. Hey, Mitch here. And uh, are you in the market for a new car? And want to see what others have paid? Well, in order to feel confident and comfortable that you are getting a fair price, you need pricing context. Information that empowers you to feel confident with true car you will see what other people in your local market paid for the car you want from there you can connect with a local true car certified dealer and enjoy a more confident car buying experience using true car you can easily find the car you want true car will show you what other people in your area paid for the car you want now that you know what a fair price is you can feel confidence Once you register, you'll see real pricing on actual inventory. This is a competitive pricing offered to you only by True Car Certified Dealers for an actual vehicle on their lot. It's pricing you'll see before going to a dealership so you can feel confident when you show up. With True Car, you can connect with a local certified dealer of your choosing so you can enjoy a quick, easy buying experience. True Car customers are more likely to enjoy a fast buying process when they connect with True Car certified dealers. True Car users save an average of $3,000 off MSRP. When you're ready to buy, visit True Car to enjoy a more confident buying experience. Some features not available in all states. Now back to Rock Talk with Mitch LaFawn. Welcome back to Rock Talk with Mitch LaFon, and I am still, unbelievably, Mitch LaFon. And uh, just a big, big thank you to Gene Simmons for uh, calling in. I am, um, you know, thrilled. 37 years ago, I interviewed Gene when I was 11 years old, and, you know, the thought crossed my mind that I've come full circle, and maybe it's time to retire and pack it up and, and, and say, goodbye, everybody. You know, and say, hey, I started with Gene and I ended with Gene. That would have been the, the perfect sort of, um, you know, romantic kind of story or ending. You know, hey, but I didn't. Anyway, uh, I am now going to move on to Dean Castronovo. He was, of course, in Journey for many, many years. And um, a situation came up where he had to uh, recuse himself from the band and... Um, Anyway, he's, he's back now with Revolution Saints, and so we talk about that. Their new album is called Light in the Dark, and Dean was kind enough about, uh, well, actually back in July, I guess, uh, he sent me the tracks to, to get my opinion and see what I thought of it, and I think they were, it's just great. It really is a great, great melodic rock record, and 
Dean's drumming and Dean's vocals matched together with uh, Doug Aldrich, uh, his sensibilities and his pedigree, you know, Dead Daisies, White Snake, and stuff, and then um, matched that in with Jack Blades of Night Ranger. And you've just got a perfect combination for a melodic rock fest of music. So we talk with, with Dean and... Um, Right after that, if you heard in the beginning, I said, hey, I've got some George Lynch for you. Right after we're done with uh, Dean, I will come back with a, uh, well, let's call it special uh, George Lynch interview. And I'll explain all of that when I get back. And so uh, without further ado, here is the one, the only, drummer extraordinaire and friend, Dean Castronovo. We are speaking with Revolution Saints Dean Castronovo and uh, Dean, I, I, I have a hard time not saying drummer Dean Castronovo, but singer. Um, always a pleasure, well, also by the interpretive way. dance. You can put interpretive dance in it too. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> I do it all. You do it all now. So, so, so look, let's let's start. Let's start right there. I mean, in Journey, you were the guy that was in the back. You were holding down the beat and the rhythm and the whole thing. Uh, yeah. Now you're up front. So, so talk to me about yeah. that first. Well. Um, it's it's daunting. I mean, we did our first show uh, in Milan at uh, Frontiers Music Fest uh, in uh, April and uh, April 29th, I think it was. And yeah, I was. Don't get me wrong. I mean, it, I was I was like a deer in the headlights at first. It was like, uh, and then you just kind of roll with it. So you know, that's the beauty of of that. I just you know, I started with the drums first and singing behind the drum kit, and then we came out. I came out. And I had my uh, my friend Steve Toomey playing drums, and I came out in front. Of him. And at first, it was like, okay, here we go. And uh, it, it actually, you know, at first, it was a little, like I said, daunting. A little, I was a little nervous, a lot nervous, let's just be honest. Uh, but it came out really good, you know. I knew what I wasn't going to be. Uh, you know, Arnell is an amazing front man. Arnell can run around and do his thing and sing his butt off. He can pull that off. I, I know that's not who I am, you know. So I just went up there and just kind of rolled with it. and just, you know, rolled with the flow of, of the show and, and um, it actually came out pretty good. I mean, for my first time ever, it was, I was pretty happy about it at the end. I was like, okay, number one, it's done. <laughs> number two, I pulled it off. <laughs> you know, and, and it was a lot of fun. So, you know, I'm, I've got the itch to, to keep honing that, you know, and, and doing it. It's going to be fun. It's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah, it's going to be fun. And, and it's a little bit different because you did sing some lead vocals in Journey. I believe you were doing Mother, Father, if I'm not mistaken. Um, yeah, that one, Mother Father, still they write a couple of them. Yeah, still, and but but you were behind the kit, and you were sort of sort of still the guy hidden behind all the the symbols and stuff. So it's got to be very different yeah. to be front and center. Um, oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah, definitely. Well, for me, I mean, being behind the kit and singing is very natural because I've been doing it since I was eleven or twelve. So it's it, it's it's a natural thing for me. I mean, and I, I like having all that stuff in front of me. <laughs> you know, it's like this is my fortress, and you cannot get in. <laughs> it's funny. So you know, laying yourself bare out there for the audience is it's definitely different, and uh, it's a a different set of nerves, if you know what I mean. Yeah, it really is. Now, um, mm-hmm. you mentioned that the first show was in April in 2017. Of course, the first album came out in 2015. So, so there is some difficulty getting on the road is that sort of how it is with you know doug doing the dead daisies and he's gone all the time and jack doing night ranger is it hard to get the schedules together where you guys can go out and do a run of shows very much so i mean we all know we all knew coming in that you know jack's got night ranger and that's his 
that's his baby. And of course he's got to put that as a priority. I totally get that. Doug's got dead daisies. I, you know, that's his priority. And I get that too. Um, so we're hoping, man, when the star, if the stars align and, and God lines it all up, great. We'll, we'll do some shows, man. We're excited to do it. It's just, you know, we, we got to make sure that the schedules work out correctly for everyone because, you know, everybody's got priorities. I mean, this is my priority right now. I don't, I don't have anything else going right now. So it's, it, this is just something that I'm just going to see it through. And if it's successful, awesome. We'll keep going. And if it's not, you know, I'll be looking for a gig. <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah. Well, hey, let, well, we'll talk about that too. Cause you've been, or Neil Sean has been tweeting out that he and John Waite and you have been, talking about a blues project but i'll get to that first the the first revolution saints album came out in 2015 it was a great great album but there were songs on there that were written by guys in the band's eclipse you know uh, broken heart uh, what was i called a second um how to mend a broken heart how to mend a broken heart and there was some record label involvement it was sort of the super group that that frontiers put together but Talk to me about this second album. How much sort of freedom did you have in, in writing it and, and being in control of the, of the sound and the songs and, and just the whole project? Well, for me, Mitch, I mean, for all of us, what, what it was was, you know, we were hoping, all of us were hoping that we would, we would get into a room and write together as a band. And um, once we started talking about doing the second record, probably, I don't know, maybe three or four months into it, Alessandro came to us and said, oh, here's, here's the songs that the label approved. And we're like, wait, hold on. Um, weren't we supposed to write this stuff together? And, and so it was kind of confusing. We're like, well, wait a minute. We, we made darn sure that we, we, we reiterated time and time again, hey, we, we want to be a part of this. We want to write. And uh, it was kind of done for us again uh, by Alessandro uh, Del Vecchio, the producer. So we heard the songs. We got him back. I was like, okay. It, this seems like it's going to be very similar to the first record. Uh, and then Doug, Doug kind of got in and said, you know what? Give me the songs. I'm going to rework this stuff. I'm going to rework the guitars. I'm going to rework, you know, and basically put his sound, the Doug Aldrich ripping Whalen killer sound on it. And thank God he did, bro. Cause you know, the songs, when they come to us, they're pretty straightforward. They're just demo versions. So I was grateful that Doug got a hold of them before it was all finished and, and he could put his, I guess you want to call it two cents worth in. I mean, he definitely his stamp, put his on, stamp it, right? on it, right? Yes, sir. And, well, and that, that is huge. And Doug's the revolution saint sound bottom line that he is this band's sound bottom line. Well, and by the way, that, that's amazing to me that the songs were brought to you. I mean, uh, Doug Allrich and of course, David Coverdale wrote some incredible white snake stuff. Doug knows how to write. You were in journey and, and bad English. You have been around Neil Sean and stuff. You know how to write, and and Jack Blades. Well, Jack Blades. Jack, I mean, Jack Blades is Jack Blades. He's I mean, an icon, right? I mean, and, and He's look, an icon, man. Right, and look at the song. Well, that's interesting. Why would the label not trust you three to come up with material for your album? I mean, is that is that what I'm understanding that they didn't sort of? Yes, that's, I, I okay. guess, bro. We we really. I never thought of their their um their thoughts i mean i didn't understand why like you're saying it's like well i thought we were we all thought we were going to write this stuff and um when it came to us it was like okay this is where we are again and that's okay and uh we're just going to have to get doug more and more involved in this and and i'm going to get more and more involved i'm going to push myself to you know push those guys to let me at least look at the lyrics and and see what needs to be changed and see if there's you know if it's even something i would sing and so once we got in the studio 
um, I, you know, we got the lyric sheets and I was looking at him. I was like, okay, you know, Alessandro, I'm going to change some stuff around here. Are you cool with that? Because he had written all the lyrics and, uh, we had had talks, he and I, you know, during this two years that I took off, we had talked about where I was and kind of where my head and my heart were, you know, the last two years, uh, you know, Alessandro and I, and, and sure enough, man, I got to be honest, he pulled it out. Cause once I read the lyrics, I'm like, wow, man, I mean, this is, this is really what I went through. I mean, you know, he conveyed it amazingly, uh, you know, for a guy that, that you know, that uh, wrote this stuff without really having any knowledge of what it was going on. Me talking to him and having those conversations, it really opened his head and his heart to where I was coming from. So when he did write the lyrics, I read them through and went, well, you know, we need to change a few things. But other than that, bro, you, you hit it on the head. This is pretty cool. I'm, I'm, I'm impressed. So, and I think that's just the way Alessandro is. He's got that emotional sense about him that he can, he can feel what, you know, what, what I was feeling. He knew what I was feeling. He knew what what I had been going through. Cause like I said, we had some long in-depth conversations, you know, about where I was and about what I wanted to do going into this. So, you know, um, once they were done, I looked through them and, and, and honestly was really pretty amazed at how good he conveyed you know, what I've been going through. So I just look at the lyrics and say, okay, that line doesn't quite work. I, that, I wouldn't sing that. Okay. That I'm not sure I would, I would say it like that. Let's change this around and move, put this word here. So I changed a lot of the stuff around, but you know, I'd say probably at least, you know, 70% of it was Alessandro, you know, pulling out the lyrics and, and, uh, putting it where, where I thought in where my head and heart were. It was perfect. And I have to say, you know, given the fact that it wasn't the, sort of the guys that, that wrote it and, and stuff, the album sounds great. I mean, Light in the Dark is a great album. The songs are great. The performances are great. But it does make me wonder how much greater it would be yeah. if you three had been locked, you know, locked away in a, in a cabin in Utah for three weeks and said, okay, come up with ten yeah. songs, you know. Um, yeah, well, we could have too, dude. I mean, come on, you got Jack freaking Blade. Yeah. Look at the songs that guy's written. It's like, hello, we've got a hit machine right next to me playing bass, you know. And then we got Doug Alders, another rock icon, in my opinion. And that guy can throw down. And you know, it's like we could have done it. And I think um, if and when we do another one, we're going to push it a little more to even make make sure that that we're writing more and more of this stuff. Cause I think their, their vision on the first record was like you said, a super group that just played all the parts the way that, you know, that they had them down. You know, of course we embellished a little bit, but this next record, it was like, okay, we, they've done it again. They've written the songs. Okay. We've got to put our stamp on it. Doug's got to take these songs and tweak them. And he is amazing, man. He was in Japan, you know, re-recording this stuff on the bullet train while he was on the road with dead daisies. That's how committed Doug is. So he's working dead daisies, doing all the stuff that they do. And they do a ton of stuff, press and all this stuff. And, and, and on his times off, he'd get on the bullet train when they were traveling, plug in his computer and his guitar and just start throwing down. And, and then we get the songs and it was like, Oh my gosh, he made it came come alive. That sounds much better, much, much better. So, grateful that Doug was able to get a hold of him and go, no, 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 no. I'm going to, I'm going to tweak these. We're not just going to leave them the way they were. I'm going to, I'm going to tweak them. And thank God he did, dude. I'm so proud of the stuff. Yeah. That, and especially how he stepped it up, you know, on, on a, t- in a time when he was so darn busy, 
and still pulled it off. I think amazingly, it was just like, man, this guy, he's a freak of nature. He's a freak of nature. (laughs) And I agree. It's amazing. And, you know, it it just goes to, so the, the first album was essentially a project and this is sort of a project band album. And I'm looking forward to the third one, which hopefully will be a band 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 album you know yeah and i think i think mitch we're gonna have to make it that way yeah. i think we've done this twice now and we got our foot in the door a little bit more on this one but the next one you know what we're coming in we're locking the door and we're gonna do it <laughs> yeah and, and i think you know listen the reason why there's a second album is because people love the chemistry of the first one they love the songs and so now it's time to see what these guys can do now uh, I, I do want to move alongside, you know, in case we run out of time, but on uh, September 16th, 1989, so 20, <laughs> whatever, eight years ago, almost 30 years ago, right? A little yes. song, a little song came out on the radio called When I See You Smile by Bad English. Oh, brother. Oh, brother. What a great song. What a great song. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, Diane Warren, dude. Yeah. The queen. <laughs> Absolute queen of writing, you know. Now, you know, yeah. listen, oh, yeah. if 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 the record company locked her away and said write 10 Revolution Saints uh, songs, we might not have had the same conversation we just had. I might have said, <laughs> "Okay, yeah, yeah okay." <laughs> yeah, but that would have been pretty awesome. <laughs> yes. Try it more, dude. You know what I know. Yeah. Hit machine. Hit machine. <laughs> so, Absolutely. That would have been cool. But, you know, the song is almost 30 years old and I and I do want to lead into, you know, what you uh, Neil's been tweeting about about you and and John, but but how did that song sort of change everything for you? Because that's the one that took Dean Castronovo and 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 John Waite and and guys that were that had good careers, but just went here's yeah. the next level. Yeah, no, it, you know, dude, when we got that song, John was listening through it, and and I he had his reservations, of course. You know, John's such a an honest, true blues vocalist and it and it's very emotional and very uh sincere so when he heard that he was kind of like i don't know what to do with this you know kind of that type of thing but when he when he got his and he stuck his teeth into it dude i remember we when it when it went number one he looked at all of us he goes i'm gonna let you all know something i sold this song <laughs> and it was like yes you did sir <laughs> yes you did no he he that's another thing just like doug he made it his own it was way out of his element, I think, and something he wasn't really comfortable doing. But man, he pulled it out. He is amazing. John Wade, another amazing. You know how blessed I am, dude. My gosh, I played with the biggest and the best. I'm so fortunate. You know, he pulled that song out. He really did. I, I mean, he totally did. So, so what is this project that Neil has been actively Instagramming and tweeting about about you, John? Uh, and himself doing some kind of blues-based project or some kind of different rock project. I mean, what is that? How close yeah. is it to be a reality? Sort of where are we in that? Well, we're in the talking stages. <clears throat> I remember Neil uh, emailing me and said, hey, look, I talked to John Wade. We, we may be doing this blues project, this ripping blues thing. Are you in? I was like, yeah, no, no, I'm not, Neil. <laughs> of course I'm in, of course. So right now it's in the talking stages. It's all about, you know, at, at once, once they figure out what they're going to do, then we're going to shop it to some labels and, and see if we get some interest, you know, uh, uh, for doing this. But, oh, gosh, bro, that would be incredible. And but like I said, still in the talking stages. And, you know, for me, I, I just take one day at a time and, and uh, you know, take what the day has. And right now, today, you know, I'm focused on Revolution Saints. And then once, 
Neil and, and John decide they're going to do it and, and we're going to uh, move forward. Then I'll get into the John Waite, Neil Sean mode. So right. that's the beauty of it. I've learned in recovery, one thing at a time, not too much on your plate or always what you got. So you don't get too overwhelmed. Cause when I get overwhelmed, I start spinning. <laughs> you know what I mean? So it's good to just relax, take a breath and go, okay, that's on the back burner right now. That's a possibility. Let's stay in here and, and, and focus on revolution saints at this point. But yeah, dude, Neil, I am so blessed to still have a relationship with Neil. Um, you know, he got me my start. He found me. I owe him a lot. I owe him everything. He and Mike Varney. I owe both of those guys everything. Because yeah, uh, had they not found records. me and put me in. Oh, yeah. Yeah, dude. So <laughs> there you go. I mean, wherever Neil wants me to go, I will go. You know, he's a good, solid guy and, you know, awesome musician. I'm, I've been working with him since I was 23. So, you know, it's almost like an Eddie and Alex Van Halen. We, we play off each other. We think very similar when we're playing. It's pretty cool. Well, okay, so, so so let me ask you this on a personal level then. When yes. when everything went down with you and, and, and sort of the world was spinning out of control, yeah. did you at any time, you know, stop and say, oh, my God, I've let Neil down. I've dis-. I mean, is it one of those where, you, where it, it's not just a bandmate? Like you just, you just think, here's this guy who's discovered me. We did Hardline. We did Bad English, The Journey. And look yeah. what I've done to his Paul band. Rogers. Paul no, Rogers. I did, dude. No, okay. are you kidding I mean, when it went down, Mitch, it was like, oh, my God. You know, not only have I hurt Neil, I've hurt John, Arnell, you know, I, I, and management and all, the, and all the fans. It was like, my God, man, I've, you know, I've, I've tarnished an amazing legacy. And that, that's, I think, what hit me the most is something so beautiful and something so big and amazing. You know, I, I put a blemish myself. I put a blemish on that career. And I put a blemish on that legacy. And, you know, that I think is what probably bothers me the most is not only, yeah, I, I hurt Neil and I hurt those guys, but my God, what a legacy. And, 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 and to put that blemish on it, it's still to this day, dude, I, you know, I work through guilt every day and you got to, you got to keep working through cause it sticks with you. That stuff will stay with you. So yeah, I, I live with that daily, dude. You know, I, I do, I gotta, I gotta, find a way to push through that and go, okay, that was then. And I'm a different man now, you know, I'm a different person and you know, it, it's a horrible thing what had happened. Oh, absolutely. Um, but I'm grateful each day, bro. I really am grateful each day that I'm, I'm alive. I still got Deidre. I, I got my girl. I got my kids, my grandkids, you know, and I still can play and sing and, and thank Serafino for giving me the shot to, to, to get another chance to keep to do doing this. it. Was there yes, a sir. point though in, you know, when there's, whenever there's a, a traumatic event or something like that, there's always sort of the, the process, the guilt, the denial. Was there a point where, yeah. where Neil just said, I don't want anything to do with you and I am pissed off at you. Leave me alone. Yeah. Or yeah. was he like, Hey yes, man. Bro. Okay. Yeah. What it was, was dude, his, the, the way Neil, handles things like that is he just stops talking to you and then you know it's like okay he's pissed he's hurt he's upset he's angry and i understood dude i i didn't take it personally it's like you know what he's right he's right and it's it's almost like a brother i mean it is we're very very tight we're like brothers man so for for that to happen i knew what was going on and i knew it's like you know what i've hurt this man very very much and uh, I'm going to have to give it time. If, if it's God's will that we reconnect even just as brothers again, that, that's all I asked for, you know, and it did. It, you know, it took him a little while, and I, dude, I, 
what, however long it took was the right time because then he reached out and, and we started talking and, and he was really concerned. Like, how are you doing? Are you doing better now? Are you okay? How are things going with you and Deidre? Are you guys, everything's working out? You know, he was concerned about my well-being and he didn't even mention the fact that, you know, I had, well, you I didn't mention the business and, and, and stuff either, which is good, right? Yeah, no, he did. You know what? It was just brother to brother. And, and, and that's the way it's been, you know, the last year and a half is just like, you know, texting and calling, how you doing, bro? You doing okay? And I'm saying, yes, sir. I'm doing well, my friend. And, and then he started saying, Hey, this, you know, then the business thing started coming. He's like, Hey, what would you think of doing this? Are you into doing this? And I'm like, bro, number one, thank you for even thinking of me. You know, number two, I will not let you down. And number three, yes, you call me and I'll do whatever, you know, I, I play with you in a heartbeat. So, you know, these, these little projects started coming up and, you know, I was able to do something with him a couple of weeks ago that I cannot discuss, but, <laughs> but it, you know, it was just, thank you, Lord, that, that at least I got my friend back. I don't care if we ever play together again. I got my brother back and that is, dude, he's, I'm, I'm so tight with him. Me, myself, it's just, you know, there you go. I owe him a lot. Yeah, I need I need to get tight with Neil too, so I can do an interview with him. But um, <laughs> <laughs> that's what I need. But happen, but you know what? The, oh, I'm looking forward to it. now. In terms of the, the the blues project and stuff, some fans, including myself, will sit here and say, "Well, you've got Dean and and you've got Neil and you've got John, and well, and okay, uh-huh. you know, Jonathan Kane and and Neil these days. We, we won't even go there, but." Why not just make it a bad English reunion or a re, a revival? Because you know, and and, and I, know, I know people hate the sound of it, but brand name, brand name, brand, you know, bad English is a brand name. Why build something totally new? Why not just say this is yeah. bad English and here's our new blues-based album? And because yeah. there's money in those hills. I mean, there's <laughs> right. Yes, there is. I think both are, the, the the problem is is there's you know. There was a lot of damage when Bad English broke up. I, I don't even know the full details of what really happened because I was like the, the, the hired gun in that band. I was just grateful to be there. So none of the business things or all that stuff, you know, was, I wasn't privy to that stuff. I was just like, Dean, we're going on the road. Uh, you have to leave it this time. Let's go. I didn't know anything more. So when I was in Detroit, Michigan, doing a drum clinic, and Neil called me just before the clinic and said, well, dude, bad English is done. And I'm like, huh? What? what? <laughs> you know? And, and uh, he said, yeah, this, you know, it's just done. There's, it's, it's over and, and we're moving on and, and I'm going to do something with you. I'm taking you with me. I'm like, well, okay, bro. Go wherever you want me to go. But the, yeah. it's just, and there it, was hardline. That was hardline. But it, it's just strange yeah. to me that, I mean, I don't know if there's any legalities that are preventing, but assuming there's no legalities, I mean, I could see, you know, Frontiers saying, hey, th- get you and get a new bass player because Ricky is, is stuck doing sticks. And, and while, yeah. you know, John and, and Neil probably wouldn't want to do something. But that's, yeah. And say, hey, we're going to put out a bed. And I'm, and and. People wouldn't care, I don't think, and I'm sure they wouldn't care about no. 1991 and then whatever backlash or what. Yeah. They'd say, "Hey, yeah. the band's back, and they've got ten great songs. Let's let's you know, let's check it out." Yeah, no, I out. agree, dude. I would do that in a heartbeat. I, I and I, I think there's, I, I don't know. There's 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 some stuff going on in the the inner workings of the bad English thing that, like I said, I was I didn't know what was going on. I was just kind of, I was the mushroom. Fed a bunch of junk and kept in the dark. Okay. <laughs> so maybe there no is some idea. legal stuff that, but but I'm sure if yeah. Serafino's listening, he'd be like, "Oh yeah, bad English. Let me write that down. Let me, it's not yeah. a bad idea." <laughs> um, it isn't. 
It isn't. Uh, before we no. wrap up, I want—I just want to get a, you know, a comment on on the singers in Journey. I mean, obviously, everybody. Steve yeah. Perry, Steve Perry, Steve Perry. But Steve Argieri was really good. Arnell is doing a kick-ass job. Jeff Scott Soto yeah. came Even in. Jeff Scott Soto, dude, he was smoking. He did what he did. He was killer. You know. Yeah. So so. Out of them, which ones did you sort of like working with? Which ones did you sort of, were there any that you think it's not fitting in? Or because Steve did a long run and it sort of just yeah. fizzled at the end, unfortunately. Oh, Jerry, I don't mean Jerry. Yeah. Um, yeah. Good times with no, him. Dude, I mean, well, yeah. to me, bro, they were all they all brought a special thing to Journey. I mean, when Steve came in, Steve Jerry, I mean, he put his stamp on it and he made it his own. And and you know. He did an amazing job. That's like Steve is an amazing singer and also an amazing person. And I think that's ninety percent of what a band needs, man. The chemistry and the the friendship and the brotherhood has to be there. You can't create, in my opinion. You can't you can't work together where there's animosity and there's strife and there's you know dissension. You just can't. So you know, all of them brought you know. I mean, Steve brought his thing and it was fantastic. Jeff came in and 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 did his part. You know, for the time that he was there. And Arnell, all three of them, dude, I, I, hats off. I could have never done that. I'm telling you right now, there's no way I could have done that. Yeah, and Arnell really brought it to that next level. And it, it's amazing, yeah. the, the whole story about the YouTube, and here's a guy doing sort of, you know, Bon Jovi cover songs at, at Filipino weddings. And Yep. <laughs> right? And, and yep, next, thing totally, you know, next thing you know, he, he has revived a band. Yeah. No, dude, I, you know what? When he came in and he put his mark on it, I mean, he was so humble. And that was the biggest thing. He was so humble coming in. But when he opened his mouth, it was like, my gosh, man, there it is. There's the proof. Yeah, he's a sweetheart. The chemistry's there. But what a voice. My Lord. It was, it was perfect. It was like a perfect fit. Like God just put him in our faces and said, here's your guy. And, and we knew. We knew when we met him. He was the right guy, just the sweetest, most humble guy in the world. But then when he opened his mouth, it was like, that just sealed the deal. <laughs> you know what it I mean? really did. And, and by the way, uh, I think fans know, but he struggled with it at the beginning because he went from being sort of this little guy, in a, not a little guy, but, you know, in a small yeah. environment doing the wedding things. And all of a sudden it became very overwhelming to be playing Vegas and to be playing New York. And, yeah. And, and, yeah. And, no, it, it, go ahead. I was just going to say, he had to look himself in the mirror and say, do I really want this life? And, and yeah. the answer is yes, and thank God, right? The fans are like, oh, thank God he stayed, because he wasn't sure right at the beginning. Yeah, no, dude, I mean, think about that. Think of the shoes you have to fill. That, those shoes right there. I mean, look at me. I had to fill Steve Smith's shoes. Not easy at all. No, no, no. So it was like, oh, Lord, you know, I got to – it was a lot of pressure on me because Steve's iconic – He's a legend, and he's, to me, the best drummer on this planet. Nobody touches him in my book. So, you know, uh, to, put, to be in his shoes was daunting. Think about how it was for Arnell. Lord God, bro. Yeah. That must have been. I mean, and still to this day, it's like I'm sure that pressure is on him every day, every time he plays, because, you know, fans can be tough. They're, they're not the nicest people sometimes. Well, they're not. You know? and, no, and they're, but, they're, they have been rough on him. But that's rough the thing. on him. But they've been rough on him, not because of him, but, but because of they're passionate. When, when you're passionate about a band and a music, whether it's Led Zeppelin or Kiss or Journey, you right. know, I mean, I'm still all about Ace Fraley. And 
it's it's unfair. Me because, too. You know, because Bruce Kulick has done a great job, and and Vinnie Vincent. Sure. But and so Arnell. Yeah, no, yeah I know. agree with you, dude. The original guy is the original guy, and it's and it's hard to replace. And some of the fans are like, you know what? Uh, uh-uh, uh, I don't accept this. I will not accept this. This is not my journey. And that's what they've been doing. But then you've got the the other ninety percent of the people are going. You know what? It's still my journey because the songs are still there. And they're executed effortlessly and perfectly every night. So how can you criticize something like that? To me, Journey is bigger than the members. I mean, the music is. Yes, it's, you know, you couldn't replace Neil and you couldn't really replace John or, you know what I mean, Ross or even Perry at that. It was difficult to replace. But, you know, the music is what matters. And the people, if they close their eyes, it's still Journey. Sounds like Journey. It looks like journey. You know what I mean? It is yeah. what it is. If it walks like a duck and it quacks like a duck. It's, a <laughs> it's duck. probably a duck. <laughs> probably a duck. Uh, Revolution Saints, Light in the Dark, the, the great new album by the band. Looking forward to a, uh, to a third one. And uh, just always, always, always a pleasure uh, to chat. To oh, you. Mitch. Oh, with you as well, bro. I love doing interviews with you because it's, it's just real and it's, it's, you know, honest. And I love it. Yeah. You know, you don't, you don't mince words and you don't pull punches. And I appreciate that. Yeah, it's it's good to keep to, to get the real story to uh, to fans and stuff. So there yeah, you go, and yeah. uh, always a pleasure. And I've I've got your uh, co-patriot or co uh, co co uh, what is it uh, co-equipier, your teammate uh, Doug Aldrich coming up next. And yes. uh, awesome, great, thank you, sir. You give, you give him my best, brother. You have a great day, Mitch. Keep in touch, my brother. Absolutely, we'll talk soon. All right, see you, big guy. Cheers. This is Rock Talk with Mitch LaFawn. Mitch LaFawn. There are 120,000 unsolved murder cases in America. It was the next day that I found out from my parents when it happened, that my sister was killed. Each one is called a cold case. Sometimes you have to look really closely to find the evidence. Damn it, I killed her. Damn it, I killed her. Cold Case Files, the podcast. Garcia is walking into the home of a real monster. I was nervous. I realized what kind of person I was dealing with. It's a goosebump moment. Download new episodes every Tuesday on the Podcast One app or subscribe at Apple Podcasts or PodcastOne.com. This is Rock Talk with Mitch LaFawn. Mitch LaFawn. Big thank you to Dean Castronovo of Revolution Saints, formerly of Journey, and of course at the top of the show, Gene Simmons of Kiss. you got to love Gene Simmons. And uh, I'm going to finish, I- I've said it twice now, with George Lynch of Lynch Mob, formerly, of course, of uh, Dawkins. And, um, you know, sometimes, sometimes you got to do interviews based on availability and time and place and, and not everything works out perfectly. So I got George Lynch on the phone to talk about the new Lynch Mob, the Brotherhood album and, uh, Sweet and Lynch Unified. And, uh, it was at a time when the band was sort of checking out of the hotel and so, there were some background noises and there were some interruptions and so on. Now, so what I've done is, you know, the, the interview was about 22, 23 minutes. I've had to, to take a couple of parts out. There, there was one part where there were some loud motorcycles and stuff. Now, George wasn't talking at the time, so the content is not being altered, but, but everything had to be tightened up. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you um, as much of or all of the uh, George Lynch interview, but it will be cleaned up uh, the concept of 
Rock Talk with Mitch LaFon is always, 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 and always will be. Here are the artists as is. This is the interview as is, live to tape, right? Um, kind of like All in the Family back in the day. Uh, if anybody remembers that TV show, they would always say, oh, we taped it live in front of a studio audience. Well, I don't have a studio audience, but I do the show live to tape, and it is Mitch asks a question, and the interviewer or the interviewee answers the question, and it is what it is, and if it's great, it's great, and if it's not great, it's not great, and if I'm not great, I'm not great, and if I'm great, you know, it is what it is. This time, though, I had to tighten it up. I just, I just had to. Um, but what George said is, is all there, but there are points where the flow gets interrupted because he's answering a question. He says, oh, hold on, there's some motorcycles coming by. I'll, let me get back to you in a second. And then two minutes go by, and listen, nobody wants to sit by and listen to two minutes of rah, 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 rah. So I tightened it up, got rid of it. And so because of that, the flow is not that normal flow that I have. But that said the very beginning of the interview George says something very very interesting I, I introduce him as uh, you know the one the only uh, guitarist extraordinaire uh, George Lynch and he went whoa 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 slow down there buckaroo anyway I will let you listen to that and figure out what he said so without further ado uh, and uh, you know let's uh, dissipate all this rambling here is the one the only guitarist George Lynch. We are speaking with guitarist extraordinaire George Lynch, the uh, new Lynch mob. The Brotherhood is out now. Sweet and Lynch, of course, is coming out, uh, unified, I should say, is coming out later this year. George, always, always a pleasure to, to talk to you. Thanks. We've talked a lot in the past. So. Yes, we certainly yeah. have. I have to take exception with your uh, introduction. Yes. Uh, again, how you introduced me with uh, something about being a really good guitar player um, <laughs> you know I don't see myself and I know that well I guess it's supposed to be all about me but I'm not trying to make it all about me but I just wanted to clarify something I don't really see myself as that I see myself as more of like you know uh, a student of the Jimmy Page model you right. know where I'm just, it's, it's really strong band with really strong compositions historically significant music people can ever come to appreciate it as that and uh, within the context of that I try to fill my little space with meaningful little tidbits of uh, personal expression. Right. That I borrowed from you know, the, my heroes, my predecessors that I built on, you know, built on their shoulders. And uh, that's about it. That's really, I think, defines it. And then, you know, with a whole bunch of other stuff wrapped around it, you know. Right. Well, in fact, so... so maybe it's not, even, it's not even music related, you know. So let's look at that then, because... You know, you, you, you mentioned you grew up and you, and you had the Page and the Jimi Hendrix and those were your influences, but you can't deny that there are fans that picked up the guitar in 85, 86, 95, 90 that were affected by what you did and, and you've become their Jimi Page and, and their Jimi Hendrix. So you have offered a, a unique style. I mean, do you not see that, that impact that you might have had on some young guitarists along the way? aware of that obviously but it does i don't really appreciate it on a visceral level because in my the confines of my world and my experience that's not the way i see it you know and i and i think that's true for most people uh for instance uh i've run into jeff beck a couple of times you know and I, my, my heart stops and i'm near tears and i'm nervous and i don't know what to say and i just want to meet him and 
afterwards I'm kicking myself. Why did I say all that stupid shit? And why didn't I ask him this? Why didn't I ask him that? And you know what I mean? And, and I can see in his eyes, he's just like, he needs to get in his cab. He doesn't care if right. I, you know, took my, you know, $3 lawn mowing money and, 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 uh, hiked five miles to the mom and pop music store to buy Jeff Beck truth and put it on my turntable and wear it out and make that the basis of who I am today. He doesn't care, nor should he, you know? Right. And when people come up to me, I don't want to sound crass or indifferent or anything like that. But I just can't understand where I, I do on one level, but not on an emotional level. You know, I understand I was there. I was in a band that mattered to them. I appreciate that. It helped support me and my family and got me to where I am. I'd be able to, you know, do what I do for more than four decades. So that's wonderful. But I don't understand the passion of that as if. For instance, if we were guys in my era, a generation, were able to meet, let's say, Clapton or Page or Beck or Hendrix, that's a whole different universe. <laughs> so well, I, I don't I guess it myself is. in any way, totally that way at all. No. Yeah, and I guess it and is. And, and, and if people make that comparison, it's very misguided. Right. And, uh, I'm not, and this isn't false humility. This is just how I actually feel. And I think for good reason, because look at the... Uh, uh, the weight of the music that they created and how everything else was built on that. We, you know, what I did and what people of my generation did was just a reaction to that. Right. So. But, but I mean, you know, some of us, you know, who are a little, uh, well, I mean, you and I are probably around the same age, but, you know, we grew up with the Demartinis and the Lynches and maybe a little older school with Ace Fraley. And, and so those are sort of the, the ones that walk among us and you go, oh, my God. You know, it's Ace over there. Oh, my God. It's, it's, you know, uh, when you come to the Brass Monkey in November with Lynch Mob, uh, folks are going to be very excited that George is standing in the corner over there. So, you know, there, there's that. Now, uh, it does bring me to my first question about Lynch Mob and the Brotherhood, because I did notice, and I've noticed in, in Lynch Mob uh, albums in the past, you know, you're sort of the, 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 the namesake and, and the guitar guy and the whole thing. But you, the songs are always about the band, and you play for the song. There's not you and 87 million notes, and I'm the guitarist here, and just follow along. Talk to me about that, that you've always sort of been very tasteful and tactful about, being, uh, about playing for the song. It's just the way I'm built, and I've always been built that way. When I started the, you know, as a kid, um, you know, bands were my family and my friends, and we went through ups and downs and strived to succeed together through impossible odds. And that's where the real enjoyment is, uh, the, the, all the challenges, you know, uh, that, the, that the family slash fan, uh, uh, family face. Um, and it makes it, you know, it's like going to war, you know, <laughs> these are your brothers. And uh, that's really at the end of the day in the final analysis, the thing that matters most. I mean, because, the music is a product of those challenges, and it's what the fans appreciate and what gives them their food that they need for their soul. But for us, it's just a, it's just the fuel in the gas tank that gets us from A to B <laughs> in our journey. You know, we're just spitting out this music because it's a reaction to what we're experiencing in our lives. It really and is. We're not even debating it. We're just, you know, we're conduits. We're vessels. I mean, you know, and so when people get too up on themselves, like, oh, you know, I wrote this and I'm so great. I mean, well. Mm, I think uh, the music, the music of the spheres, another 
elements of the universe might be involved here, but you know, I want to give, not give yourself too much credit. Right, and and talk to me also about the writing process for Brotherhood, and then, and then we'll we'll talk also about Sweet and Lynch. But uh, you really write as a band. There, there doesn't seem to be one guy who comes in with everything. Uh, talk to me about working in sort of those confines where it's sort of a very equal partnership, or or do I have that completely wrong? Um. Well, no. It's it is a fair uh, analysis. Um. You know, it can go any way by design. In other words, listen, if you're Hendrix, or you're Bob Dylan, or you're Neil Young, I mean, you know, you you are self-contained. You know, you don't want to dilute that with by forcing uh, input that isn't required. <laughs> uh, but in, in, in most cases, in the band situations that I've been involved in to a greater or lesser extent, um, uh, there are there are full band efforts now. There's always a natural hierarchy, uh, and I tend to usually, you know, be at the top of that because I, I just by the fact that I have a guitar in my hand by default. Uh, and uh, I, I have to admit that I've never been in a cover band, never played cover tunes, so I've had to force. I've been forced to write my own songs, so I have something to play. And um, so just by nature, I'm always just writing, you know, because I couldn't play a Zeppelin song if you put a gun to my head or a Beatles song, but I can write a song. So I've been in original bands all my life. So it's my nature to write the riffs and, you know, the compositions instrumentally. Um, of course, everybody's involved when you're in a room because everybody's reacting off each other. So there's that. Um, and then, uh, you know, I've been involved in most projects. Uh, the singer does his thing. We may help a little bit with the melodies and the, and the lyrics, but for the most part, the singer handles that. Uh, the one giant exception to that, in my experience, was a record called Shadow Train, which was the soundtrack to the movie Shadow Nation, the documentary that I was working on. Right. Uh, I wrote most of the lyrics and melodies for that because I felt so passionate about the subject matter, uh, I couldn't help it. It had to be right, and I had to say it had to say what I felt it had to say. So I, I had to roll up my sleeves and get involved in that. And I had a flash of inspiration to do that. But normally, I'm not that guy. So, um, you know, uh, Oni and I have a chemistry, for sure. Very, very strong. That would exist despite whoever else is in the band. But that's not taking anything away from Jimmy and Sean. Um, Jimmy wrote uh, most of uh, uh, the first single on this record. That's his song. And, uh, you know, we, we added some to it, but that, that, that's his baby. So, and it's great. And, you know, if we have strong input from across the board. We have stronger records, and, and that's very welcome. The only thing I think the downside of having a demo, purely democratic band is that you're opened up to weaker influences, and that's what you have to come, I think, watch out for in that scenario, is that you're saying, well, listen, everybody is able to write. We're welcome all writing even the bad ideas. Well, <laughs> you got to make sure the good ideas float to the top. And sometimes you bruise some egos doing that. And that's, that's always a challenge because, you know, people get married to their ideas because it defines them. And when you reject their ideas, you're rejecting them and it uh, becomes personal. So that's always tricky. It, it can get tricky. Now you, you mentioned chemistry with Oni, but the, the other chemistry that I think was sort of unexpected by many or, or maybe that's not the right way to say it, but it's with Michael Sweet and, you know, the first album, Only to Rise, the Lynch, uh, Sweet Lynch. 
Um, that turned out exceptionally, exceptionally well. Talk to me about about that, and then now getting to this new album, Unified, because it's it's almost because of the success of the first one and the fan reaction that we sort of said, oh, well, we need to do more. Well, yeah, it, it was uh, by today's standards, it was uh, uh, was just was successful. It did well. It sold well. It was well, uh, well regarded uh, fans and critics alike. Um, you know, it wasn't trying to be anything other than what it was. So I think it's a very genuine record. Uh, you know, it, there's a cheese element to it, and there's a cheese element to all 80s music, and that's just a given. So considering that, it was genuinely cheesy. <laughs> you know? I mean, I'm not saying that in a disparaging, negative way, actually. I mean that in a, in a truthful sense, in that it it sounds like it came from a real place. It wasn't sort of like we decided we're going to try to create this disingenuous piece of work as an island in 2017 that's a throwback to 1980-whatever. It wasn't that at all. It was really just me sitting down and Michael sitting down and coming up with these ideas that just flowed naturally uh, without any thought to them. We didn't say, okay, let's write a retro record or let's write a docking record or anything like that. It's just I knew what he sang like, and I think subconsciously I just wrote that way. And then he sang the way he sang, and, and it just worked out. We, we didn't have to think too hard about it. For, for for the second record, though, then are you are you more conscious of the of as you said the cheese factor, or or do you say okay we did that one, now let's go show them what we've really got. Let's go show them what George Lynch 2017 is all about, and Michael Sweet 2017 is all about. Not really. I, I didn't think that at all. I thought I thought uh, I'm going to just stick to the same formula that I went with with the first record, and that's you know. I put my docking hat on a little bit, you know, thinking those terms, you know, a little Judas Priest, a little bit of Van Halen, a little bit of this, a little bit of that, which is part of me. You know, I mean, I, I grew up with all that stuff. I was surrounded by all that. So it was okay for me to go a little retro. I wasn't afraid to do that and then throw in some modern bits. And it was really that that simple. It was not it was not rocket science. And, uh, you know, I worked independently of the band. I worked, I wrote, I wrote all the music uh, in L.A., and sent it to the band who were on the East Coast, just like the first record. We did exactly the same way as the first record. Stuck in the same formula. Hey, I'm in Lynch Mob. I guess I can't complain, though. Right, no. Kind of like that stuff. Well, I'll move away quickly from Lynch and then just ask you the, the obligatory, obligatory doc in question. You did the reunion... And, you know, it, it came off okay. You did the six shows, or seven shows, if you include the, um, uh, the, the one that was in where? North Dakota, was it? Um, uh, South, South Dakota. Dakota. Yeah. Um, you know, when you, when you write music and you're coming out from that, that, that place when you're a teenager and you're doing it for, for, you know, for the love of music, and now you're doing this... For the for the for the paycheck was was the experience different and was the experience positive and and is it somewhat you know after all these years people say reunion 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 and you go okay it's done does it sort of take a weight off your shoulder and you go okay we've done this now let's not discuss this anymore uh, well I don't know how everybody else feels but I don't feel that way no I, I you know music is music it's all great. It really amounts to the passion put into it, and it's it's coming from the heart. Right. Uh, you know, I don't really differentiate between any kind of music or any forms of it in any context. Sorry, I just walked up, walked up eight flights of stairs. Right. Ugh. 
Uh, so no, uh, I think it's a, you know, for the public's concern, that's the, the biggest, most important thing, meaningful thing I've ever done in my life. So, uh, certainly want to recognize that. Uh, I have no problem, uh, you know, appreciating the legacy at all. And how did the, the how did the shows go for you? Cause you know, you took some time off a of lynch mob. You went in, you did these shows looking back at it now, six, seven months later, or almost a year now, in fact, how do you sort of look back at that time? Uh, which, uh, which time? The, uh, the dock and the dock and reunion that was in Japan last year. How do you sort of look back at it now that it's been a year? Well, I mean, as you said, I, 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 I'm glad we did it. I guess we get out of it now. Uh, I, I'm, I'm glad I did it uh, for all kinds of reasons, uh, creatively, closure-wise, and uh, you know, financially, it was rewarding as well. And uh, just to see, uh, just to see the looks on the fans' faces. I mean, literally, dude, I'm not kidding you. Around, you know, uh, wherever we played, there were people in tears. You know, uh, it's pretty, you know, heartwarming. See that. I can imagine. Uh, so, uh, anyways, it was uh, it was rewarding on all sorts of levels. It wasn't without its challenges, you know. I mean, it, it's not easy to throw a band back together that hadn't played together in you know twenty something years, but that had a history of, of issues. So, yeah, it wasn't without its, its uh, challenges. But we got through it. At the end of the day, Don and I shook hands. I think we have respect for each other. In fact, I know we do. We both, you know, we worked hard. We got it done. It wasn't perfect. It wasn't bad. Um, and I think we can grow from there. So I'm hoping uh, there's more to come, but, you know, who knows? We do have a live DVD, live DVD with a, a new uh, original studio track on it, some other studio tracks, and a live CD coming out. Yeah, year, no, so. exactly. And I'm very much looking forward to that. And uh, we'll finish with the, uh, the Lynch Mob uh, tour dates, you, you, you've got shows in uh, Canada coming up, New York, Houston. Um, what are folks going to see there? Uh, we mix it up every night. Uh, we're doing everything. You know, we're adding two or three songs. Uh, we've added two or three songs from the new album, The Brotherhood. Uh, we're doing stuff from Smoke and Mirrors album from you know, about eight, nine years ago. We're doing uh, stuff off of uh, Song of Two, depending on the night, off of... Um, Sound Mountain Sessions record, and of course, a lot of Wicked Sensation. And then we filter in a certain amount of docking, you know, our take on the docking catalog as well. And we we do anywhere from two to three to maybe even five or six docking songs, depending on how long our set is, and gauge our audience, you know, kind of audience we have. And then we do some jamming, too. You know, we always try to take liberties with that. We'll just go off and go off on the blues, or I'll just make something up and we'll just see where it goes and have some fun. And... Uh, What's been happening is um, uh, over the last few years is when we do that, some of these jams we re- record them on stage, you know, sound checker at the show, and they sometimes turn into songs. So, for instance, on the Brotherhood records, um, there's two songs that are uh, a direct result of that, um, that uh, us jamming on stage and turning those jams into songs. Uh, and one of them is the uh, Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde song, and then Miles Away is the other one. Miles Away, we probably played that song 25 times live, but it wasn't the same version that you hear on the record. We added to it on the record when we, when we wrote it. Uh, we finished writing it. Uh, but it was 
conceived uh, on stage, you know, and I, and I love that about this band, that we can do that. Yeah, and, and, and of course, fans here are looking forward to it. George, always a pleasure, and um, look forward to seeing you on tour. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Come, come up, and we'll have, we'll have a beer, hopefully, and uh, Bobby, I'm sure I'll talk to you again. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you, George. Download new episodes of Rock Talk with Mitch LaFawn every Monday at Podcast One and on the Podcast One app. Or you can subscribe at iTunes. And don't forget to rate, review, and share. President Trump denies it. I'm Rita Foley with an AP News Minute. President Trump denies on Twitter using vulgar language when questioning why the U.S. would accept more immigrants from Haiti and African nations. 17 dead, 43 missing in Southern California after Tuesday's heavy rain and devastating mudslides. Santa Barbara County Sheriff Bill Brown is asking people to evacuate some areas so search and rescue crews can do their jobs. It is seriously impacting the ability of search and rescue, public works, other first responders and repair crews to clear roadways and to engage in search and rescue repair and damage assessment operations. Missouri Governor and former Navy SEAL Eric Greitens is now under investigation after acknowledging an extramarital affair but denying anything more, including accusations that he tried to blackmail the woman into keeping quiet. I'm Rita Foley.